0: we're talking about water today we've been talking about the past couple weeks some experiences that i had in israel with four other people uh, five of us total on the trip and i want to reflect on some things concerning that trip not just about the trip and i'm not showing you a whole bunch of you know pictures of me and stuff like that but a couple pictures in here from this last trip to israel to reflect on some different aspects Biblically and what that looks like in God's word. So we talked about that first week a little bit about pilgrimage I don't remember what I said that week. It's not even online right now I was still on you know a hangover from the, the the plane ride and all that other stuff, but I uh, Talked about you know the journey we're on and being a pilgrim and and uh, what the Bible says about that And then last week we talked about rocks uh, I didn't give you all a rock though, that would have been nice, but I was afraid that you might throw it at me, so that's why I wouldn't do something like that. I'm not, you know, that dumb, but uh, but this week we want to talk about water. So you can drink this, you can hang on to it. I should have said you're not supposed to drink this, and then everybody that's taking a sip right now would have felt somewhat guilty, right? Yeah, no. Uh, we want to talk about water a little bit, um, and I want to pray again in just a moment I want to share with you some things about water and a couple stories and uh, maybe just an overview of some biblical ideas concerning water. But let's first talk about our world. Our world is, uh, is much of it water. 71% of the earth is covered by water. That 71% that's water, 97% of it is salt water. So it's undrinkable unless something's done to it. Um, 97%, that leaves 3% of that 3%, 2% of that water is not really accessible because it's in these polar ice caps or underground. So you can get at it, but it's not easy to turn it into drinking water, you know, that easy. So that leaves 1% of accessible, clean drinking water. Well, I should not probably put the word clean there maybe, but accessible drinking water uh, for us around the world. That creates a problem in many places. For us in the United States, industrial countries, it's not that big of a deal. 100% of the people usually have access to clean drinking water. But there are a lot of places in the world that do not because stats are all over the place. But one that I found consistently said that 1 billion people do not have access to clean drinking water right now. Look at what happened today already. You walked in and we gave you a little half water. 1 billion people do not have access to something like this. It's not even possible. They need it in another form. That's why you'll see a lot of ministries. I think it's something for us to consider as as Journey Church. Where are we going to help people uh, concerning clean water in this world? Where do we need that? Some of you maybe already support that. There's lots of ministries, organizations, nonprofits that are building wells around the world. It's a beautiful thing. Some of it's so simple as well. I've even seen that uh, these companies that create these straws that you can stick in like sewage water. I'm not going to do it, but you can drink that water and it's supposed to be clean. Now, there's a lot of opportunity to help people in this way. You know, it, it's, I don't know it's not right at half, but um, of Africa does not have access to clean drinking water. That's a horrible thing to think about when we take it for granted. I brush my teeth, and sometimes I just leave the sink running. I take a shower probably way too long. We wash clothes whenever we want. I fill up buckets for my dogs. We have... Easy access to water. And we see that a lot of people do not. And when they don't, you see things like dehydration, malnourishment, disease, infection happen in these, these some of them just children, dying around the world because of that. And it's, it's a sad thing to see on the TV and then to think about, wow, can we do something about that? Can we find a good place that would build a well for an inexpensive amount and it would change an entire community that's going to do it in a proper, healthy way? It's interesting because we'll talk about a woman at the well in a little bit. Many of you are probably familiar with the story. I've preached on it many times. I love the story. It is literally one of my favorites because of what it entails and what it covers in the story. We're not going to cover it all today, but you know, one of the problems like in Africa is uh, children, women and children, because what happens is a lot of the women, because the men are out doing other things, maybe, maybe they're working, maybe not, but There's a whole thing I could go into with that, but the women are the ones that go get the water for the family. And often the children, and then break that down, the children, it's the girls that have to do it. So why is that a problem? Well, one of the things is it's taking, especially the kids, it's taking them out of school because they have to travel so far to go get water. So some of these women and children are going to get water miles and miles away. It's really a day thing. Some of them have to do it every day. You'll see them carrying water on their head or hauling these big old plastic jugs of water, something that we take for granted. It's so simple. So not only does it like impact kids and people um, with their health, but it impacts economically. It, it you know socially. A lot of these things it it uh, you know can turn into something completely different, something that we can just take a drink anytime we want. Man water is very important. It's interesting because Jesus will say in Mark 9 41, I read this this week and it was kind of challenging to think about. You know, there's a lot more behind it than just this, but look at what it says. Jesus says in one of his teachings, if anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. I read that this week thinking about water and thought, wow, I mean, I'm going to get super blessed because we just handed out like, you know, 150 waters today. <laughs> I should say you are because basically the church bought a bunch of waters. So we're all blessed because we gave ourselves water today. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I'm sure it's not Jesus necessarily reflecting on something like this, but it does stir it up, doesn't it? Hmm. What would it look like for us to help people and their need for water. Now here is the interesting thing though for us to take it a little deeper. We long for water spiritually to satisfy more than just our thirst. Even if you're here today and you do not follow Jesus, maybe there is, I'm not saying there is for sure, I don't know you, I don't know your story, but there is something deep inside you that's crying for something more. Spiritually, emotionally you're dry maybe even today you followed Jesus for a long time and you're dry feeling you feel like you're in a desert wilderness we've talked about that you're parched you long for something that will satisfy more than just your your uh, you know longing for a drink for a minute The Bible says in many places, let me just read through a little kind of like paragraphs together, it's not on the screen, Psalm 42, a couple verses, 63 of verse, and Isaiah 55, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. Man, I bet you some of you feel that way today, especially in this heat, huh? We really got to think about it. I thirst for God, the living God. Some of you, it's that. I thirst for something, and it's not just God. I love that word right in there, the living God, because you need something that's in you alive and active. So I long for something, thirst for something, and it's not just God, an idea, it's something living in your life. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you, he says. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. And then Jesus will say these words, we'll bring it up again. The Bible tells us in so many ways, Old Testament, New Testament, all of beautiful scripture says, is anyone thirsty, come and drink. Even if you have no money, come, take your choice of wine or milk, it's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does, does you no good? Listen to me, and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. And then he says again, come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. Wow, I bet you today that's the longing for some of you. Those scriptures resonate with your soul. So my question, and I want to pray again, is what are you thirsty for? Really, today, what are you longing for? And how are you attempting to quench that thirst? Are you doing it through the living water? Or are you going to your own well, trying to dig yourself some of that other type of water? We try to quench the thirst of like loneliness and shame and love and relationships and unforgiveness and purpose and acceptance with the water of the world. Maybe it's religion, superficial relationships. I mean, I don't know what it is for you. But outward, many of you have found already it's temporary, it does not satisfy, and it is unfulfilling. And you found, I bet, that you thirst even more than you did before. just didn't quench your thirst i shared this message not this message but the story years ago when i used the tagline i was just curious if anybody remembers this advertisement from sprite it said image is nothing you remember this thirst is everything obey your okay a few of you do that didn't work huh okay what are you thirsty for Let's pray one more time before we kind of jump into some other aspects of water. And Father, we come to you today, the living water that satisfies a deeper need, quenches a bigger thirst than any little cup or plastic bottle can. Many of us have dug our own wells, tried to create our own cisterns to hold something that is supposed to be living and active. Some of us have gone and tried to quench a thirst of loneliness and love and purpose and acceptance with other things, religion, superficial stuff. We found out it's lacking. And so be with us today. And if someone is here that longs as the psalmist in Isaiah wrote, then may they come and drink. From you today, with ears wide open, hearts exposed, so that you can truly heal them. It's all free too. You you don't ask, except just to come. And thank you for these folks here today in your word in Jesus' name, Amen. Water is everywhere in the Bible, from beginning to end. It's all over the place. We don't have to go into all the things, but from the beginning of creation to extreme, you know, good and bad, the flood, to all the times when they're using water for, of course, you know, quenching their thirst, to, to ceremonial, you know, washings, to all these types of things the Bible's filled with water and ideas of water and what it talks about and exposing this idea that water is not only refreshing, but it keeps us alive. We needed that on the trip Every day there in Israel was 100 plus degrees like this here every day, most of it pretty muggy. We'd get out of the car, and I'd want them to hike up hills and rocks and stairs to see some Bible spot. Even days, our car, I think it was so hot, couldn't keep up uh, with the air conditioning. So we understood what it meant to be in the land of the Bible experiencing these amazing things, and yet wanting to stay in the air-conditioned car and just look at it from the road. There's where Jesus did that and drive out of there, you know, to keep the A.C. going. One of the things that we would do on the trip constantly is you have to tell everybody, drink water, drink water. Did you drink water? And if you see them, they'd have water bottles or their little, you know, flasks or whatever. And yeah, I drank water. You go, how much? Like this much? That's not enough, You cannot survive, and your trip's going to be ruined because you're going to have a headache and going to have to take you to the hospital to get IV'd or something like that. Drink water. Water is very important for us. We can live without a lot of things, but we can't live very long without what? Water. It's very important that we drink enough water. Lack of it can create lots of problems we see a lot of lack of it in the land of Israel. For months of the year, they have zero water. Just nothing. They don't understand this idea that we're dealing with now. In one part of the United States, 106 degrees or whatever, we go to another part of the United States, it's flooding. It doesn't make any sense sometimes. God doesn't make sense sometimes because I don't know if you've understood this in your walk with him or seen this. Well, I don't know about understanding it, but sometimes it seems that God leads us to a place where we lack some of the very things we need desperately, water. He'd lead these people out into the wilderness, and there's no water, but they'd find creative ways to fix it, to figure it out. I think we do sometimes as well, but there are times when water can really expose our faith, can it? Or lack of, especially spiritually. Suddenly we got to have more faith, and I think the people in the land of Israel, the whole Middle East, probably deal with that even a lot more than we do concerning water, because sometimes they got to have faith that it's going to be there in the next spot, the next oasis. There's a lot of that lack of water in the Holy Land, like I said, because of the limited rainfall. There's three main bodies of water, really, you could say, in the land of Israel that really dictate the whole, the whole experience for people in the land. Um, their whole life, their agriculture, everything. So the first one is the Sea of Galilee. These are just from the last trip. I have tons of pictures, but I just picked out some from the last trip from my phone. So that's the Sea of Galilee. I think it's about 10 by 7, something like that. Um, it's their main source of water. It's really the only big, giant, you know, lake, or they say sea, in, in the land of Israel. There's a lot of stories that happen on that, that body of water that Jesus experienced with the disciples and people experienced in the Bible. That If that goes way down, they struggle to, f- to find you know uh, the proper way to, to grow crops and to get drinking water and all that. So it's a problem in Israel. Um, there are some streams and little, little tiny rivers, the main one, the Jordan, that flow into the Sea of Galilee. And this is the Jordan River that flows out of it. It's beautiful, huh? You can laugh. It's not very beautiful. Look at it. <laughs> You know the Old Testament stories of the mighty Jordan. They couldn't cross because it was at flood stage. And you look at it now and you're like, that looks like there's one side of the bank and the other. <laughs> it's because that's what it's like right now. Everybody sucked water out of it. Jordan and Israel, to, to do their you know, watering of crops and to get drinking water and all that, that uh, it's gone way down. This is a spot... Um, you'll see a picture in a little bit of me baptizing somebody, but this is a spot. Go back to that just for a second. This is a spot where we think, you know, that is the area where Jesus got baptized or was baptized by John, and John would be down there many times. This is down towards the Dead Sea, and this is many, you know, uh, many of the places. were well, one of the only places where you can really get down there, and they've built a new place where you can go down and baptize people. And it's interesting to drive in here. You got to go through a checkpoint. Because uh, that, that bank on the other side is, uh, is Jordan. So there's a guy just sitting there with a gun watching you baptize people because he's protecting their baptismal spot, I guess, you know. <laughs> a lot goes down in the baptism spots. Uh, so you can think about it. Wow, that's, just the, that's the main river. That's it. We have thousands or what? I don't know how many rivers here in the country. Our own valleys, these beautiful rivers, man. Then there's this shot that doesn't really do justice by any means to the Dead Sea, but we're in En Gedi. And I brought this up because we brought it up last week about water, that in this oasis, this desert, there's an oasis in Gedi. And I'm looking from from the top of En Gedi, that's the Dead Sea. And you look and you go, wow, it looks like the Sea of Galilee, that blue. Well, it's the Dead Sea. So Israel, you can just leave that there for a minute. Israel has these streams coming from the mountains up by... Lebanon and rivers, they flow into the Sea of Galilee. The Jordan River comes from the Sea of Galilee into this giant body of water, the Dead Sea, lowest place on earth. The Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because it's dead. Uh, No fish or living things can grow in it, can flourish in it. There's nothing in there like that. And when you get in it, you float. It's pretty awesome. You even put mud all over you and then wash it off in the clean water. It's a pretty amazing place. But if you think about this, in Getty, where we're standing is in this massive desert. There's just nothing around. This oasis where David wrote a lot of the Psalms and it reflected on water in the desert. And then you look out to something that you think is very refreshing and it's undrinkable. That picture right there of these three bodies of water are interesting because it shows us The picture of living water is the Sea of Galilee, and you could say the Jordan River as well. Life-giving, flowing, clean, fresh, coming from streams. But when it hits hits the Dead Sea, it's dead because nothing flows out of it. That's no different for us. When you're filled with living water, something's got to bubble out, the Bible will tell us in a little bit, and flow out of you, or you will become dead, stagnant, undrinkable, you could say. It's a good picture that they have constantly in the land of Israel concerning water. Water was key to the vitality and growth of agriculture in the land. Water was key, we'll see even a little bit in the story in a minute. Water was key to hospitality between people, even for foot and hand washing. So when you'd come to somebody's house, they'd give you like water. You could wash your hands, somebody would wash your feet if they had a servant to do that. The wells, we'll look at it. The wells, these places were places of hospitality where you come together. Probably a modern day like coffee shop or bar or something like that. You go to the well, this place where there's refreshing, you know, drink to have. Starbucks would be, you know, that kind of place today. Dutch Bros, something like that where you'd go and there are places of hospitality. Water was used to purify in religious tradition and as offerings they had these mikvahs before you'd ever go, have to be able to go up to the temple or anything. You'd have to get washed in the bath and then go up. And we know that John baptized people and others were baptized in water. And we know, as we said earlier, that water was connected really to faith because you needed water, you lacked water, so you had to have faith to find it. So in that, here's one of the things they would do. All over the land, even up on Masada, this place that Herod built up on a mountain, there are things called cisterns. Cisterns are all over the land. Even in people's homes, there's cisterns. Small little ones, giant cisterns. And what they are is they're dug out of the rock, this limestone. Limestone is this rock that's everywhere in Israel. It's soft. It's very easy. I don't know, easy, but you know to, to chisel out, to build with it and all that. They would dig out these cisterns, these holes, to, care, to catch, cover, and um, hold the water um, so that they would have it when they didn't have water. You know, so if you had the cistern, you could store water in there and now you'd have it for the months when you didn't have. Um, the, the cisterns, Because limestone is porous, water would go in and out. The cisterns would be plastered inside to hold that water. Um, And if the cisterns cracked or the plaster broke away, you'd have a problem because then the water could leak in and out. And you'd also, after a while in cisterns, it gets stagnant and just bugs get in there. Some open cisterns would have dead animals in them. It's just, it's not a great place after a while. But people would use them. It's the way they survived Um, these cisterns look at what jeremiah says so this is a big deal concerning water in the land of israel for my people have done two evil things god tells them they've abandoned me that's one the fountain of living water two they've dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all why is this important Because as we prayed earlier and talked about earlier, one of the things you will find when you lack, so think about it spiritually, you're to go to the living water, Jesus, for all of our help, our needs, our hurts, all these things that we brought up earlier. But what we often find ourselves doing is digging our own cisterns, creating our own places for water. And God says, listen, you've abandoned me, the fountain of living water. I am the one you're supposed to go to And you've also dug for yourselves cracked cisterns. They They can't hold water. One, they're not intended to after a while. We are intended, if we follow Jesus, if you don't, this is something you're figuring out right now. But if we follow Jesus, we are intended to go to God with our hurts, our struggles, our pains, our brokenness, our wounds, the damage that's been done. God says, don't abandon me. Come to the living water and stop trying to figure it out for yourselves because the things that you're trying to do, the things that you're digging, they're making you exhausted and they are broke. They don't hold. They will not hold up. Some of you have discovered that. You've discovered that it does not work apart from God. You have tried to quench your thirst from something else. You are in the wilderness and desert. God's holding a big sign up that says, living water found here, but you decide to go a completely different way. Maybe you've just abandoned God completely, but I want to remind you that he loves you. Come home. Don't listen to the lie that says you're not welcome. You're no good. Run to the living water. Drink from Jesus. It is worth it. Your cisterns will always break. They will never hold up. And anything you put in there is eventually going to leak out. And you will remain thirsty and dry and broken but living water as I said earlier is fresh and flowing it comes from rain springs and rivers they're filling up lakes many of you experienced that this week somebody said Ron you mentioned Crater Lake last week and we went there some subliminal thing kind of hit you And I saw lots of pictures on Facebook, so I'm sure lots more went of people that were skiing, wakeboarding, riding in a boat. And I'm wondering why you didn't invite us. (laughs) Living water, as we will see and, and really can see throughout the Bible, living water can only, can only, it can only come from God. Living water only comes from him, this life-giving stuff. That's why there's this element of baptism that comes up. Baptism is not like, we'll baptize some people pretty soon here. I remember getting baptized in the Rogue River in January, freezing cold. Yeah, I know. I'm tough like that, thank you. (laughs) But there was the experience of flowing water, And just that whole thing, I loved that. But, you know, we're pouring living water into the baptismal when we do it here. But baptism becomes so important in that picture of living water, that experience. There's something so beautiful about that. You've given your life to the living water. The living water has washed you clean. Not that water, but Jesus. I love that. Look forward to those times where we get to baptize. And we did that in Israel. Even Corey baptized her friend. This is me in that beautiful water that you saw baptizing Alberto. You even notice we got the, uh, Alberto and Dave Gomez wanted me to baptize them. And they told me that I had to buy and we had to put on the robes. (laughs) And so we put on the robes and went out there and baptized people, right? The the Jordanian uh, guard was watching us. Um, And it's a really cool place and a cool thing. Isaiah makes good use of imagery when he talks about what God will do concerning water. It's a great scripture for us. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. Does anybody need that today? You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. What beautiful pictures that is. Some of you will rebuild, I love this, some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. That living water will be so, like, just, you know, fulfilling and, and full and ready to bubble out in you that you will go and rebuild cities. You will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. I like the testimony I heard this morning from a young man who had gone through a really tough time. And... Uh, decided that coming out of that, maybe he wanted to turn around and be a counselor to help people that went through the same thing that he did. He talked about how God was you know, bubbling out of him, you could say. That's exactly what he's saying here, Isaiah, is. You drink from that living water. It does something more than just give you refreshment for a few minutes. How? What a beautiful scripture. And then I had to share this with you, this scripture from Ezekiel. 47, 8 through 10. In the last days, so water is everywhere in the Bible. In the last days, Ezekiel writes that there's going to be this throne of God. I I can't even imagine what it's going to look like except just what it says. Uh, Basically, a throne of God in Ezekiel 47, he says. And water, living water is going to come from it. It's going to flow down from the temple in Jerusalem. And it's going to hit the Dead Sea. And it's going to create life. That's what living water does. It takes something. It's a beautiful picture. Dead. And makes it alive. And how many of you in here are a testimony to that? Living water, one day we said yes to living water, and we went from dead, the Bible says, to alive. And uh, he says, In the last days, there's this picture of that that's gonna happen. And he says, This river from the throne of God, from God, living water flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. And fishermen, it says, will stand along the Dead Sea and fish. So a few years back, I met these guys in Israel that were selling for a future event fishing licenses for the Dead Sea. Uh, it's just a little side note. I thought, are you serious? This is something that we would do in America or online. I don't know if you can find it nowadays. I haven't seen them again. But are you serious? You're making a buck, especially off the Christians who come and go, what? If I buy a license, it's going to help this. I don't know. We get these crazy thoughts. And I'm like, you know, I almost want to buy one of them from you. Just, I like fishing. <laughs> There's a story in the Bible where Jesus has been traveling around, so you can go in your Bibles to John chapter 4. In a minute, we'll have some verses on the screen here for you. I'm only going to try to hit part of the story and not share the whole thing. It's too deep and wonderful and fantastic. I just want to kind of skim through it a little bit. Jesus has been traveling everywhere. It's John 4. He's just started his ministry in a lot of ways. And he's a Jewish rabbi, so it's a beautiful thing. If, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit when we talk about discipleship um, in September and October. Uh, for a while, and uh, Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. He's known by the other religious rabbis as a teacher. He's invited in to teach in the synagogues. He's a smart guy. He's grown up Jewish, gone to the schools, done the whole thing, memorized all the scripture. He knows his stuff. So Jewish rabbis, um, and Jews in general at that time, were taught to hate Samaritans, and that goes back hundreds of years because of bad blood when uh, there was This whole thing going on with captivity, all this stuff. I don't want to go into it. But they hated each other. So much so that instead of taking a direct route to somewhere, if you had to go through Samaria or some part of it, you didn't care if it took you hours longer, days longer. You went around, especially the rabbis. Got to be real religious. So I don't want to get, you know, touched by any Samaritan or get that messiness or dirtiness on me. So I'll just go way around. The Bible tells us in John 4, Jesus has been talking to religious leaders. And it says that he, I love it, he says he had to go through Samaria. Jesus doesn't have to do anything. But it says Jesus having to go through Samaria, he does it. So he doesn't care. I love that about Jesus. Jesus doesn't mess around with this idea that you can't go there, can't touch those people, can't do this. I don't want it I don't want it to be like nowadays. But man, it's beautiful. Because Jesus, he goes to places where religious people say you shouldn't go. He talks to people that they say you shouldn't talk to. And what's more than all that? He touches people that he says should not be touched. Maybe we have that experience as well because he touched you and me. He found us. It's not always that we got to run to him. It seems that often God runs to us. And I love that. In this story, it says he had to go to Samaria. And you, you, you come here, and he's, before we read on, he goes now and sends his disciples to go take care of business in town, and he goes to a well. It's in the middle of the day. And I don't know what he's doing. At, well, I know what he's doing in a well. We'll see in a minute. But he's not supposed to do that either. He's going to do a whole bunch of things that he's not supposed to do. And he's hanging out at this well. Remember, it's a community place, hospitality, but it's in the middle of the day. And it says, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And it's in the middle of the day. So women did this all the time. Remember I told you it's modern day today with people that lack water. The women are traveling to the well. It's often a place where they gather to talk and to hang out and talk gossip and business and whatever, talk about their husbands and how great we are. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Kids are going. But you do that in the morning or the evening because it's so hot. Not in the middle of the day, and that's when Jesus is there. So one thing is, why is this woman there in the middle of the day alone? And the other thing is this. What business does Jesus have being alone with a woman? Jesus does what he's not supposed to do. Talks to who he's not supposed to talk to. And he touches people that he's not supposed to touch. And it says, soon the Samaritan woman came, and then he asked a question that he's not supposed to ask from a woman. Please give me a drink. And he was alone at the time, remember? Because the the uh, go back to that just for a minute. Please give me a drink. They'd gone to get some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So he's already touching on things where she has wounds and hurt, where she's broken. And so the story continues on where Jesus says, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, And I would give you, and here's our word that we've been looking at, living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. Remember, we try to do our own things in our own way. She said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? I love it. He is just hitting the heart. He's stirring it up. He's bringing all these things and exposing now these truths of what she's really dealing with. And besides, you do you think you're a greater greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Well, Jesus says, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. I mean, he's hitting it right home with this living water. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, she's there in the middle of the heat of the day. It's noon. It's hot. She's alone. Give me this water, please. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Jesus and exposes some of the truth. He will go on and talk to her about many things and he will tell her about her life and about all these husbands and boyfriends she's had. And it'll become uh, very, um, you know, he'll see, and we would see in the story, that she's there in the noonday because she's basically known as kind of the harlot of the town. She has no other choice. No women want to hang out with her. No one wants to be around her except for Jesus. It shocks her as well that he would talk to a woman, that that woman is a Samaritan. He'll, He'll talk to her about worship, and she'll try to get off on theological things. And then he'll bring this up in verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. And here's them, this, these guys that have followed him and seen him do things already. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had enough guts, <laughs> the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? <laughs> and they're, they're just shocked. So they come back and they see this going on. The woman is so touched, so much already experiencing something life-giving, refreshing. She's been so dry for so long and parched. She's had to get her own water by herself every day. She's had many relationships that didn't work out, married multiple times, and the guy she was living with now is not married. They're not married. She's broken and hurt and she's a Samaritan. She's supposed to be hated by this guy and suddenly he's shown her love. He's talked to her and basically what he's done is give her living water. This next line is very important to me. Shows me something and how beautiful living water is because it says the woman left her jar beside the well and ran back to the village. What was once important doesn't even matter anymore. When you experience real living water, often what you come for, especially even in in, in this God community, it, it's not even the thing that you really needed. so sometimes we come and God just fix my relationship. God, take care of this concerning some healing, you know, bring them home, whatever. I mean, there's a lot of things like that, and suddenly we discover after we began a relationship with Jesus that the very thing that was truly the wound, the hurt, the brokenness was not that at all. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Can I add there, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did and still loves me and still loves me. Stayed by me and did not run away. In fact, he already knew all the garbage and junk. He went to the well for a purpose. So when it says he had to go to Samaria, he had to go there because a woman needed to be loved and experience living water. I love that about Jesus, but here's what living water does. It says, so the people came streaming from the village to see him. And look at what it says as the story continues on. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because of what the woman had said. And and she said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves, now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Man, when you experience this living water, it bubbles out of you. It gives you something much deeper, much greater, more refreshing than you could ever imagine. The next chapter in John, the next few chapters later, just to wrap up with this story, and then I'll give you a few thoughts to take home today and think about with me, but Jesus just days, maybe weeks, whatever later, he's celebrating one of the feasts that the Jews have celebrated for, you know, thousands of years now. And this one is called the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. I've been to it many times. And at this celebration that goes on for days, just to paraphrase, kind of run you through it real quick. For days they celebrate and remember it's called the Feast of Tabernacles, these booths, because they remember the forty years of that the Jewish people were in the wilderness before they got to the promised land and how God took care of them and gave them tabernacles, coverings, and took care of them in the wilderness, just like he does us today. They remember that every year for days. They remember it. In that same time, so it's coming up in the fall, October-ish, somewhere it's coming up, and uh, when it comes up, not only will they celebrate that, but they'll celebrate uh, and, and, and ask God for help and what they ask God for help for, for seven days, is for water. So the planting season's coming. They want God, help us God. We cry for water. We cry for this every day. And every day, there's a, there's a spring. I'm not going to go into all the pictures in that But there's a spring called the Gihon Spring that flows down into the pool of Siloam. And we go in a tunnel called Hezekiah's Tunnel. And you walk underground in the water. And you go in there and you start at the spring and you come down at the pool of Siloam. It's a really incredible thing. There's an amazing story behind it. But it is awesome. And you're in living water. You're walking it. You come out. And we sat down and talked a little bit about the pool of Siloam. So in these days when they celebrate this, they would, from that Gihon spring, this living water, going down in this pool of Siloam, the priests would come down from the temple with their pitcher, their, their, uh, their priestly pitcher. They would get water. They would walk up the hill, because it's a hill, go up to the temple, pour it over the altar, and ask for God's help for water just symbolic. We need your living water to flourish this year, to have our crops grow, to to quench our thirst, all those things. God, give us rain. God, provide for us. On the seventh day, they would come down and do it, I believe, seven times and come up, and they would pour it over the altar. And in John chapter 7, there is this story of Jesus there at the feast. He's experiencing the feast. He's celebrating these very things. He's probably crying for God, his Father, give us water this year. He's experiencing the whole thing as well. Jesus attended it. He's at it. He's in this place. The Bible tells us he's teaching the people at the temple. On the last day, seven times, they wash the temple altar. They cry out to God for water to survive for growth to flourish Jesus is there at the temple the bible tells us in john 7 he's standing there they're doing this they're reflecting on it and suddenly Jesus i don't know if he yelled cried out these very words anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. The declaration is that your living water that you truly long for, that will satisfy more than growing tomatoes or quenching your thirst, he's standing right before you He's telling the people that day and he tells us today, I can provide what you need. I can fulfill what you long for. I can satisfy what you desire. For Jesus is declaring that I am the living water. Are you thirsty today? Are you dehydrated? Longing? looking for refreshment, 2,000 years later, there is still one Jesus that stands before us and says, anyone who's thirsty, come to me. Come to me. It's the cry of people way back in the beginning, the Bible, and it was the same cry when Jesus was there, and it's the same cry today. Come to Jesus. Let me tell you these Few things from our stories there. One, living water is a gift from God to you. You saw it in the, the the John 4 story. You see it in the story here. It is a gift from God to you. You cannot earn living water. You do not deserve living water. It's a gift. Today, if you think you gotta be good enough to be refreshed by Jesus then you are wrong. A Samaritan woman, the harlot of the town, who longed for something more, simply went to the well that day, and Jesus was waiting for her. And he said, if you only knew the gift, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Today, if you need that living water, it is a gift to you. Ask Jesus for it. I need you, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, I need you today to quench my thirst of my soul that longs for something. I've been digging my own cisterns, trying to do it my way, and it is lacking. I need you, Jesus. The other thing to remember is living water is a gift to all. It's not just to the most righteous, to one group of people. All colors All races, all backgrounds, it's available to you. Have you led a life of sin and you think you're not good enough? And if we knew you, we wouldn't like you. I don't know if that's, (laughs) but Jesus isn't like that. Living water is a gift to all. He says anyone who drinks this water And anyone who drinks it that I will give will never be thirsty again. The other thing about living water is it satisfies the body and soul. There is something much deeper. Jesus says to the woman, and he tells the people that day 2,000 years ago, You will never be thirsty again. Come to me, come to me constantly. Don't even just do it one time. Constantly come to me with your needs, your hurts, your wounds. And we have today available Jesus, the Holy Spirit, his word. And listen, a community of people that we can gain refreshment from. One of the things about church is not because you come and we have the best slides or worship or speakers or building. Part of coming, there's a lot of great things going on here, but it's what God is doing, and it's what God is doing through his people. So sometimes when we gather, we gain refreshment from those that we're with. I told my friend today, you need to be with people who can encourage you because have you been with people when you give your life to the living water who suck it right out of you and then replace dirty water with it? Hey, here's something. That's not very good. How about this? And it's just a filthy looking cup of nastiness. Have you ever, I don't know what image you got in there, but <laughs> it's, it leaves you lacking and longing. Have you gone back to something that Jesus got you out of? And sometimes it's people around us that pull us out like that. Part of coming to church is to be with people that love God as well to let Jesus bubble out into you because sometimes you need that from others, don't you? A hug, an encouraging word, worship, whatever. And then the last thing is living water, it cannot be contained. It's fresh. He said in there, and the worship team can come. It's bubbling. It's a spring within them, giving them eternal life. Living water gives birth to new things. It's for growth. It refreshes us, and it revives the dead, we learned. You know that the rabbis used to teach? I don't know, you know, uh, really how this plays out for us today, but there is a picture of it for our lives maybe. They would say that if you had a cistern or you had this well or you had this container of water that was considered more dead water, that if just a drop of living water, a raindrop from the sky, something you got from, a, you know, the river, just that one drop in this mikvah, this baptismal place, or the cistern would make it all clean. And I think there's that element of Jesus and that it gives birth to new things. Some of you need new things today. You need Jesus. You wanna grow, you need Jesus. You wanna be refreshed and revived, you need Jesus. So before we let you go and take communion, we'll take communion. i got a short blessing to give you, but do you need living water today? Then ask. Ask Jesus to take over your life, to refresh you, revive you. I'd love to know that. You can fill out a card. Let us know that you've done that today. We'd love to connect with you. But if you need living water today, ask. When you take communion, there's that element of refreshment that we gain from communion. Not because it's, oh, grape juice in this little cup's going to refresh you. It's to remember w- w- the living water and what he did for us. That little bit of Jesus cleansed us from sin, the body that he gave. This That's an element of living water that we experience to say thank you for your sacrifice. So communion today may be this expression of Thank you, Jesus, for being the living water in my life, from, for dying on the cross and bringing me back from the dead. You are the living water, and you have revived me. Also today, if you've been using a rope and a bucket to get what only living water can provide, then I'd ask you to turn to Jesus. Have you been digging your own cistern to store up what will only go stagnant? Come to Jesus instead of asking for something fresh, flowing, satisfying, and permanent and life-changing. Have you gone to your own well, dug your own cistern? I'd say repent of that. Jesus is waiting for you at the well to minister to you. I think I think that communion can be that well experience as well. Just gotta kind of be reminded of this. And then can I challenge us this, this week? Are you having living, life-giving conversations? It's good for me to think about. I think we need to have conversations with the thirsty at Wells. And maybe they, they, they begin, I don't know, this is an interesting one if you think about like Starbucks, how that would work, but hey, please give me a drink. You know, that's how it started. So maybe you go up to somebody in line and say, hey, would you buy me a drink? I'd probably start a different conversation, but... But I think when these simple questions, Jesus says that to this woman who who, who was shocked that you would talk to a woman, a Samaritan, at the heat of the day, her history, and he simply said, please give me a drink. It opened up a floodgate of healing. History was made. A life was changed. But not just one life, a whole community and city was changed. It bubbled out of her into others. It's just... Just beautiful and amazing. And Father, thank you today. If we've dug our own wells, forgive us. If we've tried to build our own cisterns, realizing they don't hold up, they've leaked, they've become stagnant. God, may we run to you the living water. If there is anyone here today that needs living water in their life, may they simply ask, Jesus, I need you. I long for you in this dry and weary land. Father, may we be inspired to have conversations at the wells of life, the wells in our community, to share with people the good news of Jesus and the living water that he offers. In your name, amen. Amen.